Good morning, church. It's good to worship together, isn't it? Yes. I, I just want you to turn to the person next to you and just say, you have no idea how good God really is. <laughs> just, just let them know. You have no, you have idea. no idea how yeah. good God he is. He really is. He is that good. And I love the visual that goodness is chasing after. It's mm. running after you. And I just wanted to welcome, just, I was going to say welcome, but I was going to say thank you for welcoming us. We have had oh. nothing but so much love and encouragement since we got to Wichita Falls. It's our first time here, and we absolutely love it. We're not just like family because of the kingdom of God and because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We get to be actual family with each other. So we are grateful for this family reunion. We're glad that you came to church. We've been praying for the people that would be here today, knowing that you're here by divine appointment. So thank you. It's been an absolute joy getting to know you and your pastoral staff. And, you know, Pastor Bob, he's, you know, he's out being Superman today. You know, my goodness, a triumph. You see, I dream of those things. <laughs> You know, but it just doesn't get me across the finish line. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's yeah. so good. And But getting to know all of you. And uh, I also heard that this is the rowdy bunch out of right. the three. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, from, from here all the way up there. Well, we're going to have a really good time. And I am so grateful for them entrusting us to you. Because I believe that this morning is a divine appointment, a God appointment. You know, sometimes in life, things in that journey or in that process, it feels as like, man, how did I get to where I am? And it feels like it would be so far back in order to make that correction. But sometimes you just need to realize it's just simply within that moment of choice where you begin to choose life again. And, and, uh, and God can reconcile and he can heal your life and propel you forward. Something about um, the leadership reaching out to us today is because something I knew immediately. They said, we believe in God. They said, we want to have you in because we believe in God being the God of the impossible. When it feels like there is no happy ending, when there's, there's, we just can't see it, the devastation is there, we can surrender to God. And all of a sudden, he comes down and he rescues us. So he, they specifically asked us to share our story of how Jesus and his redemption and restoration rescued our lives. And so really today it's all about him and how good he is. I couldn't be more grateful for the songs that were chosen this morning because we've seen for all our life he has been faithful. Even when it, things were difficult, he has been faithful. So that's the theme yeah. of our message today. Life, life sometimes can get complicated, mm -hmm. but the solutions of God are actually simple. Yes. Everyone say simple, simple solutions. solutions. I like that. Good. Now, I didn't say easy, but I did say simple. But there is such an extravagance of God's grace and his enablement and empowerment for your life for his realities to truly become yours. You see, no matter what you're facing, there is never a hopeless situation. Mm -hmm. There's only hopeless people. You see, and so I want to rescue you from that place of despair, for we serve the God of all hope. We're going to be speaking today from the scripture that we want to start with is John 16, 33. And Jesus is speaking and he says, I have told you all of these things. And then that got my attention. 
Because then he's getting to like the bottom line. I've told you all of these things so that you can have peace. We are just wanting to promote peace like never before. And so Jesus says, I'm going to show you, give you all these things that you can have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Make peace your priority. I remember, Audrey, in in our lives and in our marriage and home, when that was an actual conscious, deliberate choice, Mm -hmm. you know, that we want to begin to prioritize peace. I believe that in today's economy, that the number one uh, um, commodity that you would have at your possession, I believe would be that of peace. I believe that, you know, people, they're looking for peace in so many places, But I think that as a believer and a follower of Jesus, that peace should be a characteristic that would set me apart from all the others. And peace isn't just that uh, place of of, of feeling, you know, uh, calm and everything's all okay. Because even Jesus says, hey, you're going to experience trials. You're going to experience tribulation. He says, but remember me. He says, because I have overcome the world. You see, peace isn't just the absence of conflict. It's not just the absence of war, but rather it's the presence of someone. Jesus, my prince of peace. And so we want to talk about five elements of peace, and one is peace with God. And you know, having peace with God is one of the most important things when it comes to peace. Because when I know for much, I've been a Jesus girl since I was three years old. And I've been in church all my life. And I remember though, that much of my life as a believer, I felt just a little bit like a disappointment. I'm not quite as good of a Christian as that person, or maybe I don't do this enough. And I felt a little bit like a disappointment. But I remember when I just made the decision that I get to choose to remember that I am not a disappointment to God because he died on the cross. I truly get to be forgiven and I'm not a disappointment to him. Romans 5 and 1 says this, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God all because of what the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. You see, this is the divine exchange of my life for his life, of my ways for his ways, my thoughts for his. This is me choosing to step into an agreement with God's view and opinion of my life. Because of Jesus, because of his death, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and ascension to the Father, all because of the finished work of Jesus, I have, everyone say with me, I have have peace peace with with God. This then leads us to our second one, and this is peace with yourself. Now, this one got a little bit even more difficult for me because how do you have peace for yourself with yourself when you've made mistakes, when you failed? But what about if you're carrying a huge regret? Mm-hmm. And on the worst uh, day of my life, I did the unimaginable. And it, it actually just props me back to 
you know, being in Texas today, Bob and I met in Texas in 1983. I'm from Canada, and he's from Michigan, but we met in Dallas. We fell in love in Dallas. We had our first kiss in Dallas, and we yeah. got to land in Dallas yesterday, and we remembered that. We said, Dallas is, is a fun place for us to remember when um, we first— We're in Wichita Falls. Okay, but we're in Texas. Okay. <laughs> we're in Texas, okay? So we yeah, get to—this is the state where yeah, we— Yeah, you got Dallas here, and yeah. then you got Wichita Falls okay, here. Okay, this is my first experience Keep with, it straight. Okay, got it. Bob, <laughs> Bob and I fell in love, and— Something that we just knew when we fell in love is that we not only want to love each other, we want to love the world. Like, we want to just share our love of Jesus with everybody. We want to live radical lives. We're going to be, you know, do anything. And um, so that led us to, we have been in ministry our entire lives and educated ourselves, but we immediately had um, kids. We had three kids. And we... But now for the last 15 years, we have had the passion of helping marriages and families in crisis. And one of the reasons that we found out later is that Gottman Poll says that marriages, most marriages, live with approximately 70%, so imagine a thermometer, 70% of unresolved conflict and buried pain. And when you're living with that amount of unresolved conflict and buried pain, you're not enjoying each other the same. And, and we found this on our own lives to be true because when we got married in 1984, we were face to face. And I still remember coming down the aisle and seeing you, you know, with your blonde mm-hmm. feathered hair and, yeah. <laughs> you know, your, je- your jeans look good on you. <laughs> I don't wear jeans. <laughs> Anyway, so I remember the, I remember looking into your eyes and thinking, all those people have said we're way too young to get married. And, you know, you're going to regret this because, you know, in marriages, are, they're, they're a lot of work. You know, have you ever heard that one? Those marriages, they're a they're lot, lot of work. Of work. Mm-hmm. And I remember being, I literally was thinking, those guys don't know that that's not going to happen to How us. How in love are we? That's never going to happen. Uh-huh. We're not, we're going to be forever in bliss. We are the role model couple. Yes, we are. And we're face to face. And nothing's going to get in between us. Are you ready for it? And then. It happened. <laughs> What came between us happened about two months after we got married. We experienced our first, are you ready? We were face to face, but what came between us, it was our first disappointment. Has anyone ever experienced a disappointment in married life, in relationships? And how many got married and went, had that moment when you first said, wait a minute, this isn't exactly what I thought was going to happen here. Like I did thought it was going to go a little different than this. But, you know, you didn't get married to make each other miserable. You didn't get married so that you had somebody to fight with. (laughs) Definitely not. You got married because you wanted to enjoy one another and that you would be able to create and uh, and display the splendor of God in, in the earth. I mean, there are just so many wonderful reasons. Why? Because there's a benefit to your union of oneness. God would be able to create something that wouldn't exist without it. And, uh, well, I, I, okay, I so thought I did pretty good if it took two months for me to... <laughs> <laughs> now, a disappointment comes in the form of a seed. So Just gonna, a small so seed. So I'm going to tell you our story because we hadn't talked to about 20 years after when we started talking about it. We remembered the moment 
when something heavy came to our home. We were having dinner and we had planned to go bike riding in the sunset after dinner and I'm 19 and I'm uh, making, you know, dinner and I, and I wiped the counter and I said, okay, honey, let's go. And he stopped at the kitchen counter, Bob did, and he said, wait, are you done wiping that counter? I said, yeah. And he goes, let me teach you. I think it was more, more show. Let me just show you. How to truly wipe a counter. Right. We found out that we had different definitions. We had different definitions of what clean was. And I grew up in a medium clean, and he grew, he's, look at him. He is Mr. Clean. He is. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> My Bob oh, is an awesome Bob. No. So he's Mr. Clean. And, but what we found out is that our differences, that we were face-to-face, but these differences come between us that can turn into a disappointment because we didn't, and into a disagreement because we didn't know how to navigate them. Too often you view your differences as something that would create a divide. Right. You know, when initially it was the very thing that attracted you to one another, and now it's the very thing is just like, wait a minute, I thought, you know, we had an, an agreement well, I here. I thought we got married to have fun, not to clean the kitchen. <laughs> well, there's another conversation. But the thing is, is again, I want you to begin to see that so many married couples live with unresolved conflict and buried pain, leaving them with only a measure of mercy, about 30%. But then you add to that, you know, the, the circumstances of life, you know, the pressures, you know, COVID, whatever it might be. And you're wondering, you know, why are they getting so upset? Why do they have such a short fuse? Because you haven't resolved this buried pain. And so, so often in, in marriage ministries, what they're trying to do is help you manage your 30%. But Jesus said, he says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. You see, what we didn't recognize is that, you know, there was a seed planted Mm -hmm. at the very beginning and that seed began to grow. And then you begin to gather, everyone say evidence. I started to water that seed because now I started to all of a sudden notice this. Wait, he's correcting me here too. Wait, he's doing this too. But And let me just jump in. I want you to hear this. This was our dysfunction. Okay, I'm not trying to correct it in any way or to justify myself, but you see, what we all do is begin to create patterns of survival. Yep, so we, div- we, we subconsciously are devi- finding out these survival skins, skills, but then I realized, you know, I want to talk to Bob. So um, it took a lot of guts because I don't love being confrontational, so I finally said, you know what, you're really hurting me. And then that's a bit extreme. And then you said, Because I weren't. never would. Why would I want to hurt you? <laughs> so he didn't admit he was hurting me. He just says, No, I'm not. And I went, Okay, this conversation isn't going anywhere. And I learned how to survive without telling the truth, all subconsciously. I wasn't really telling him how I felt. So when on our wedding day, we got married face to face. Yes. But because of disappointment, because of differences, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they began to create a chasm Mm -hmm. and they began to divide. So then in our survival, we begin to learn (sighs) how do we live side by side. This is easier. We got a similar past. We know where we're going. Mm -hmm. And now 
I have my role, my responsibilities, and you have yours. And I'm not thinking about what you're not doing. I'm just figuring out how to survive here. And we can look really good on the outside. We can stay married, but we're not enjoying the benefit of oneness. Mm -hmm. And we got very, very busy. Because the best thing to do if you're living side by side is to get really busy doing really good, good things. Good things. And that's what we were doing. We were, we were taking care of churches. We were We love ministry. each other. We love we each other. We enjoy each other. We have children together. We love ministry. But where's the intimacy? The intimacy of being fully known and fully loved. You see, the, the precious stones that pave the way to authentic intimacy is transparency, openness, honesty, vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And so many are lacking that in their marriages. And I did because I knew I couldn't, I didn't know how to tell you I wasn't okay because I was really good at acting okay. So when, it, when, when let's fast forward 17 years. 17 years in, again, we're very busy. I'm very desperate and exhausted, but I didn't know how to share my heart because I stopped being vulnerable with you. And then a young guy starts coming to our church and he does this one thing. He says, wow. Does anyone see how hard you're working every day? And I went, wow, thanks. And then I just sort of, he's like he gave me a drink of water where I was most thirsty. And then he, it's turned into, wow, like you're so beautiful. You know, I wish I could get a girlfriend half as beautiful as you. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, we need to get you a girlfriend. But then I was so thankful I could be his friend because in my heart I said, I would never do that. I mean, I've loved Jesus forever. I love God. I love my kids. I would never. Whenever we say those three words, they're a revealer of the fact that I don't need God and it's spiritual pride. I don't need God here. I can do this. I can manage this. But pride comes before the fall. The fall. And that friendship turned into a sexual affair. And I never, ever dreamed that that would be me. And here I am in this inappropriate relationship. It lasts for three weeks. I end it. I intend to keep it a secret the rest of my life because that's my pattern. I don't really say what's going on in my heart. But within a couple of days, God arrested my heart and he whispered and he said, you need to tell Bob. And I was scared out of my mind. And that's when I introduced so much pain and devastation on that day when I told Bob and I shocked him and I said, you know what? I've committed adultery. Mm -hmm. When you're, it's almost as though when living parallel realities and it's like they begin to intersect, you know, that begins to create this crisis moment where what was concealed is all of a sudden revealed. So you have all of this new information and you have a lot of emotion, and it wants to drive your life. Were there indicators? Absolutely. But would this happen to us? Never. Today, we're talking about having peace. Peace is my priority. Peace with God, peace with yourself, and then peace with your story. In that moment, when I heard this news, I was angry. I mean, that's saying it mildly. And it was almost as though I was losing my mind. And it was, you know, what do I do with this? And initially, I began to create a rescue plan for me because I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong here. You did. 
And all of a sudden, my ego begins to protect my own self-image. I say that because I want you to hear the arrogance and the pride of my heart. You see, I need God. You need him. And in that moment, I didn't know how to navigate this, didn't know what to do, but God. I went to my office and began to pray and hear the voice of the Lord. I called a pastor friend of mine. His first question to me was this, Bob, who knows? I said, nobody. He says, good, let's keep it that way. I'm like, what? I mean, we got to get everyone. I got to get a committee. Like we got to figure out how are we going to deal with her? She's a problem. He says, you wait until we speak later this evening. That evening we got together and he began to challenge me with Proverbs 25, verse 2, where it says this, it's God's glory to conceal a matter and for a king to discover its understanding. When you've been cut, hurt, or wounded, you go immediately and you cover that wound to protect it from any other further uh, injury or harm. You clean that wound, you suture it, you bandage it, and you cover it again to promote healing. This was new for me. Because in my arrogance, in my pride, I wanted to expose and shame. And I'm being challenged with the heart of God who says, will you cover her? Will you fight for her? Will you defend her? Will you have the heart of God? I want to share one other story I haven't shared in any of the other services. And that was this. Before we hung up the phone that very first night, I said, what do I do tonight? I said, obviously, and we're not sleeping together. We're not going to be with each other. And he says, oh, no. He says, Bob, you're going to get right back into your marriage bed tonight. And you and Audrey will not spend one night apart from each other because we will not participate with the spirit of divorce. I want to speak hope to you. Because hope is able to see beyond your present circumstance that can draw you into God's preferred future for your life. That was a really hard night. It was like, this is an understatement. And the interrogating, I felt so bad. I just remember I wished I would do anything I I possibly could do to turn back time so that I wouldn't have done that. I wanted to change it so bad, but now I was living with it. How do you live with peace with yourself when you've destroyed everything because of your selfish and stupid mistake? And um, it was two weeks later. uh, We got some help that we needed. Um, But two weeks later, uh, we found out that I was pregnant as a result of the affair. So now we are, other kids are older. They're 10, 12, and 15 years old. And this little baby will definitely not look like the other children. And when I found that news, the, the voice of fear just said, your whole life is over. Your children are going to have to pay for what you did. I love my kids. And now your whole life is over. And anything that you want to do to love people is destroyed now because you are disqualified from having a happy life. And in my desperation, it was a couple days later, I'm alone in my kitchen and I made the phone call to an abortion clinic. And they said, oh, you just have to take 10 pills and your problem will be gone. I hung up the phone and I fell to my knees and I, and I just prayed. I said, Father in heaven, I love you so much. I love you. I always have. And I, 
And if you love me, will you please, I'm begging you, will you please take this baby to heaven? And you know, because I've just begged him for a miscarriage. But you know what? I'm standing here today to say that because God loves me so much, he did not answer my prayer. Have you ever had really good ideas for God? I mean, uh, you know, but he says, you know what? I'm not, Audrey, I'm not going to evacuate you out of your current circumstances or your difficulties, but I am going to come to you right where you are and I'm going to hold you in your pain. I'm going to heal you and I'm going to restore you, but we're going to walk through. We're not going to avoid. We're going to walk through. A couple days later, I was alone in the car with my dad. My dad's a very merciful man. He was safe for me. And I was alone in the car with him, desperate, desperate, so scared. Everything in life was going to change now. I said, Dad, I don't know what to do. I said, Dad, there's a baby. And immediately he just said, Audrey, that's what you did. But that is not who you are. Other people for the rest of your life will judge you for your worst mistake, your obvious mistake. But your father in heaven calls you by name, calls you his own, and he covers you. Peace, my priority. Because of Jesus, peace with God, peace with yourself, finding peace within your story. Our lives radically changed simply because I didn't want our marriage and my children to experience the pains of divorce. I didn't know if we would ever be happy again, but I I wanted to fight for my children. I wanted to fight for our generation. I wanted to do what was right. And I was beginning to just find how difficult that really was. We moved from Winnipeg to Phoenix, Arizona. My father lived there. Uh, my pastor friend was there. And, uh, and he just really began to challenge me with the truth of God. Everyone say truth of God. You see, when you're willing to embrace the truth of God, no matter how countercultural it might be, or even opposing your present circumstance, it's when you're willing to embrace the truth of God, it's there that you discover the grace of God for that truth to become your reality. I didn't know that at the time. I was just struggling through day by day, taking personal responsibility for me and making that journey. Audrey's about four months pregnant. Our lives changed. Kids think we're on this great adventure, you know, from the snowy north to palm trees in the south. But after dinner one evening, we invited him, you know, that we needed to sit down and have a Meisner family meeting. They came to our bedroom and my oldest son, Christopher, entered the room, 15 years old, and there he saw his mom and dad seated on the floor crying. Immediately, fear gripped his heart, and he was nervous, and he sat down. My daughter came in. This same thing happened. My youngest son at the time, David, walks in, 10 years old, and he sits down, and here we were. A family of five with no guaranteed future but God. I don't know why I get so emotional right now. 
But there might be some of you just sitting there. I have no guaranteed future. But God, invite him in. He really is your prince. He is your peace. He wants to involve yourself, himself with the consequences of your choices. And he says, I'm going to make a way out for you. As long as it takes, he says, I'm not going anywhere. He says, we're going to go through and you can come out with reward. So we're sitting there on the floor. And before I said a word, I, I took a, a large queen size blanket from the bed. And with Audrey seated on the floor, I took that blanket and I covered her from head to foot. And then I knelt down beside her and I wrapped my arms around her. And I said to my kids, I said, kids, this is what God does when we make a mistake. He comes to us and he covers us and he wraps his arms around us and begins to speak. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. With Audrey covered and held in my arms, I looked deep in my children's eyes and I began to express to them of how much I love their mother. You know, that we're meant for each other, that we're a family and that we belong and that no matter what happens, I'm not going anywhere. With Audrey covered and held in my arms, I looked and I said, kids, mom's made a mistake. Again, not going anywhere, but you're going to have a baby brother. My 15-year-old son, he's weeping. He understands. My daughter, 13, she's crying. She understands. But it only took her a moment. And then she begins to grin from ear to ear. And she looks at me and she says, Daddy, we're having a baby. She feels my pain. She cries again. But she just cannot contain the excitement. She's smiling. Daddy, we're having a baby. My 10-year-old son, David, he's watching all of this. And he says, um, he says, I'm really confused. He says, at least, <laughs> at least I'm not going to be the youngest anymore. I knew we were going to be okay. Good days, bad days. But what I began to recognize was I had a big problem. I had a love deficiency. I would role play scenarios in my mind because I knew that this baby was innocent. And I also knew that this baby does not deserve to be raised by an angry father. I got a problem. I would role play scenarios through my mind of a little one crawling on my leg and smiling saying, daddy. And I'd say, but I'm not your daddy. People were offering, well, we can take this baby, you can adopt this baby out. One morning I had uh, coffee with my pastor and I'm begging him, tell me what to do. Finally, he's really quite agitated with me and he says, Bob, he says, there's a baby on your doorstep. What do you do? Will you participate with this fatherless generation or will you become a father to the fatherless? It's time to grow up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's easy for you to say because it wasn't your life. <laughs> but you see, the truth that offends you 
is so often the truth that'll save you. My daughter and I, several months later, we find ourselves in a hospital room, good place to have babies. And I needed a middle name for this little guy. And we came across the name Theodore. Theodore meant divine gift. He's not an accident. He's not a mistake. He's not the result of a sexual affair. But just like my other three children, born out of the heart of God and entrusted to me, entrusted to us. Don't ever question how your children come to you. They're your children and they belong. I knew what his first name would be and it was mine. I gave him my name, Robert, because I didn't want him to ever question a day in his life whose boy he is. He's my son and he belongs. So I want to share with you this family picture, if I might. And there they are. I just love them so much. And on the far left is my uh, son, David, and next to him is is his wife, Tessa. Uh, They live in Toronto. On the far right is my son, Christopher. In the middle is my daughter, Janelle, and her new husband, my, my, my other boy, Daniel. And then there in the dark hair is My son, I share that picture with you because 20 years ago, I almost threw it away. You see, when you're in trouble, I don't want you running from the family of God. I want you running to the family of God. You see, we're here today because this is your invitation in the midst of possibly your pain. I don't know what you're going through, but it's the family that wants to cover you. It's the family that wants to fight for you, that wants to defend you. You see, we need to make it easy for others to come home. I listened last night to Pastor Bob's most recent message last week. And he challenged you, share your faith with one other person. You see, make it easy for them to come home. When my children get in trouble, I don't want them running from home. I want them coming to home. Today's a wonderful day. Because you get to go home. To experience the extravagance of God's love. Earlier today, I just shared for the last 15 years, we just have had an ongoing passion to help marriages in conflict because we saw how one little seed of disappointment turned into a a conflict cycle that we didn't know how to navigate. And now we just spend our our lives helping couples to navigate and discover what their what their cycles are so that they can be broken so that they can truly love each other and enjoy each other again. You know, so we do a weekly podcast. If you ever, any of you listen to podcasts, we love our 30 minutes every week. We have a podcast called All About Relationships. It's about all relationships. And we have intensives in our home. We help people break their cycles. But most of all, we just want to shout it 
from the rooftops that our Redeemer lives, that there's always hope, it's never impossible, and we can trust God when we don't feel like goodness is running after us. Goodness is running after you today. That's why you're in church today. Goodness and hope, because not only can you have peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with your story, but you can have peace with your season. Seasons are a thing, but they do end. But we're in a season right now, November 2020. This is an interesting season. But we get to choose hope because there's no such thing as a hopeless situation. There's only hopeless people. And I believe that we will not be those. Let's not be hopeless people. And I also just feel very strongly to say that maybe you did have that divorce or maybe you've experienced an abortion. But I want you to say, no matter how your story has come so far, as of today, you can draw a line in the sand and just proclaim for you. For me, I've chosen that my Redeemer lives, and I'm going to begin to start rewriting my future that is incongruent with the heavenly mindset of who Jesus is. Because we aren't just citizens of America. I became a citizen of America 10 years ago. I was Canadian all my life, and then I just love being American. <laughs> I love being American. It's my chosen. You guys received me. Thank you. But more than that, we're citizens of heaven, where the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Because that scripture said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. I hope that our story has brought you cheer that we can overcome. The greatest commodity I believe that you could develop, invest in, is peace. Allow others to look at you kind of with mystery. What is with you? When there is so much uncertainty, there's such a confidence, there's such a courage, because you know that your Redeemer lives. Psalm 37, 37 says, look at those who are honest and good, for what a wonderful future awaits for those who love peace. What a wonderful future wonderful awaits future. for you. Let's stand together. We're going to call um, and express some love to the people around you. Husband and wives, hold each other's hands. Give each other a minute and just go. Just, sense, just express love. Families, hug each other. I like that. You guys, this is, this is, we're in this together. This is real life. Yeah. Express your love with each other. We're if you ever call. had a question, you know, of whether or not you belong. You belong Let me answer here. that for you. You belong. You belong here. Thank you belong. You, Jesus.